Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Um, Are we joining a cult? <laughs> not yet, or soon? Just let me I, know. I, I decided that the cult I want to join is the is is our cult of fellow undeniable like I just when I just wrote you that email I just formulated what at least one one piece of what it is which is that we are and I had to change it a bunch of times because the first time I wrote it out was like we think we might find that we are part of a larger community of women over 40 who for whatever reason had to abandon their primary artistic pursuit and who are now returning to it with an undeniable voice and vision. Oh, fantastic. That's my cult. That's a good cult. You you don't have to give me money unless you want to buy merchandise or unless we monetize our podcast. You don't have to have sex with me for sure. In fact, you don't have to do anything for me. <laughs> just we're all just going to be that's the kind of cult I can get behind. Well, I was going to say that could be that could be our our tagline is um undeniable, a cult you can get behind. <laughs> hey, let me run this by you. Okay, no, so, in, you know, there, I listen to a lot of podcasts, so I hear a lot of people's opinions about things. And one thing that I hear coming up a lot from people when they're talking, and it's always when they're talking about their profession, whether it's writing or stand-up or um, performing, whatever, and they always say, listen, this is a meritocracy. Only the best people like in other words like it's a career that you can't buy your way into uh get be, have nepotism blah 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 mm-hmm. like because you know like if you take the example like donald trump uh inherited millions upon millions of dollars and, and squandered yes. it but the whole reason he's been able to stay in the game if that's what you want to call it is because he, he has this position of having come from money, et cetera. Correct. Um, mm-hmm. and, and people are always trying to tell you how that's not true <laughs> in Hollywood or in entertainment. And I'm like, okay, almost nothing is a meritocracy. If you, yeah, I mean, like, you're not going to be super successful necessarily in Hollywood if you don't have talent or merit. But this idea that like, you that you 100% clawed your way in just ignores all the things about you getting there that you don't even realize are like going in your favor yeah it's so true I I think that that is 100% correct and even if you look at like I'm I'm thinking about my mom right so my mom came to this country from Colombia and she would like to say and you know she's dead so I can talk shit about her (laughs) but she would like to say Oh, I clawed my way in. Okay. They came from an upper middle class family in Colombia. Okay. They weren't, their skin wasn't so dark that they were, they were like, they didn't look indigenous to, to other, they just looked like they had suntans. So Mm -hmm. even that is like, it, it's this myth that like, if, if you, and so, and so, yeah, there is no such thing. I think the true clawing your way up I think happens in segments and it happens uh, and there's a tremendous amount of um, privilege along the way. Right. Yeah. There is no claw. The people who really, really have to claw their way up, unfortunately, I would say, or whatever, I would say that they never make it because they does, they can't keep clawing. They say, fuck this. Right. Or they're, they're so, um, 
exceptional. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're just, they are people who are hurt are so exceptional or, or like, okay. I was even thinking about this, about AOC who I love. Yeah. I think she's amazing. I'm not certain she would be as popular as she is if she weren't so beautiful. Right. I was going to say if she weren't so beautiful and she, for me, it even goes, it goes a step further of like, she's thin, you know? So mm-hmm. if, if she were not thin, I wonder, it, it, it's like, she's stunning, right? She's physically stunning. So well, there is no America. And actually, to be honest, I'm embarrassed to say a meritocracy I've never heard of. What is? Oh, meritocracy. Like meritocracy. Yeah. Based on merit. So like, I thought it was a merit, a merit. I was like, what? Oh, meritocracy. Yeah, I think you're so, calling a merit, a merit. Oh, sorry. I'm probably slurring my words. No, no, no. I'm, I already, again. I already, <laughs> yes, it's, it's 1030 and I'm already on my fourth martini. No, um, meritocracy. Yeah. And, oh, okay. and, and, and I really hate it when I hear cis white straight guys saying writers who are like, listen, nobody, <laughs> Nobody opened any doors for me. And I'm like, like, wait, wait, what? Nobody. Oh, are you? Of course, everybody opened a door for you. Your door, you're born, you're born with a door open. If you're a straight white dude, you know what I mean? Like that's don't even start. You shouldn't even like open your mouth. Yeah. And also like that comes up with this whole endeavor that we're doing. I mean, we're only able to do this because we don't have to like, you know, in another situation to be like, well, that'd be nice to do, but you have to have your full-time job with benefits because, you know, otherwise you're not going to have a roof over your head. Like we're very privileged to be in a position where we can like spend some time investing in our future success because we have some, you know, we have money to sustain us while we're doing it. I say it all the time. Like, you know, people ask like, how are you able to, you know, (laughs) sit there and write about serial killers? I'm like, look, dude, my mom saved up a shit ton of money, died and left me some. And Mm -hmm. I have a partner that works a nine Mm -hmm. to five. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to pretend that, that I somehow, well, it's just not the truth. It wouldn't be the truth. <laughs> right. Like, right. Oh, yeah. I really worked so hard. No, I worked hard to take care of my mom as she died, but I right. didn't. Right. It's not my money. Well, I mean, even, it is now, but. It is your money. Even though um, another example would be like, let, let's say you are a person born without much, much privilege, but the way that you, but you're exceptional so you like go to a great school and then you get good jobs because you're friends with people who are who are hiring people I mean it's not that it's not merit-based because I I'm willing to give you but like acting is really not that merit-based acting is really looks based I would agree I and and who you know and like and who you and know who you know based so like if you're stunning, people want to get to know you. Yeah. And yeah. then they want to help you. Like I was talking to my son uh, and he's like, "Mom, like so many people in our town are like really tall and thin." And I'm like, "Yeah, people with money tend tend to be beautiful. They tend to be like tall and that's why there's and actually when my mom came here for the first time, we, we were someplace and she goes, "Finally, there's a fat person. I haven't seen any fat people." <laughs> And I realized she was right. And, and yeah, so, and so you're saying that you're born with money and you look good and then you just get to keep, I'm like, yep, that's exactly right. That's, that's exactly. a meristocracy right there. A meristocracy. <laughs> that is what I'm talking about. I mean, so, and you know, it, it could just be like, I'm, it, you could make the argument that I'm, a hater because I'm, you know, not further along. And okay, uh, that that could be. But sure, you, you both just, could be true. That's true. Too, I'm like, too. I, I'm all about the combo platter these days because I just grew up thinking in such black and white terms that, like, now I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Both can be true. Like, I am jealous of people who are tall and thin. Okay, okay. Partially, that's ingrained in me because of uh, the meritocracy that we live in, and part and and <laughs> partly 
but that is how I feel. I'm, I feel can feel sort of envious of that. And at the same time, it's gross. So both things are, you know, like it's really, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And listening to, yeah, it's a combo platter. I love that. And listening to this, um, cause I'm all deep in the, the Nexium stuff. Oh, I, mean, I, I can't wait to watch, but I'm also really scared to watch. Oh, well it's, to me, it's just juicy and interesting. Um, but I shouldn't say that cause so many people were victimized by this group, but, uh, even that guy, you know, this is more about how everything is psychology than nothing is a meritocracy, but that guy, super high IQ, all the privileges, you know, white male. Um, at the end of the day, this entire decade spanning multi-billion dollar (sighs) business with that, that evinced like countless lawsuits and has paid lawyers for years to come. It's all about that. He hated his mother. Oh my God. And he wanted to punish women and, and have lots of sex. That's it. Right. It's like, you can gussy it up in all kinds of ways, but you're no different than somebody who's sitting in jail right now for sex crimes because he had the same urge that he couldn't overcome. That is amazing that it comes down to, um, and I'm actually, I'm writing about this in my spec, but it comes down to being animals and being, having base needs of Mm -hmm. money, uh, you know, greed and sex and lust and, 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 um, yeah, you said it. You can dress it up any way you any way you want. But this guy was basically a horny, angry pig. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> a horny, angry, greedy pig. A pig, and that's being mean to pigs. So he's just horny, angry, and greedy. I like pigs, but he's <laughs> he's horny, angry, and greedy. That's what. Yeah. It also gives you such an interesting insight into creation myths and why they why they come about because one of the things that he did, so he, um, and and like Scientology, you know, like I guess Scientology had all the terms that it had because that guy had some, he was in the Navy at some point. So that's why it's all like Navy flavored. Yeah. Yeah, Navy flavored. Yeah. (laughs) He's a Navy flavored cult. He's a Navy flavored cult. Well, this guy grew up in uh, uh, Albany. So, the cult is up there. Um, he likes to play volleyball. So volleyball is part of the cult. Like Shut you, up. Oh, yeah. yeah you got to play volleyball. Shut up. That's okay. brilliant. Okay, and, I didn't know that. Oh, my God. And you have to play. And he plays volleyball in the middle of the night. So, what? like. <laughs> this guy is amazing. He's so just... he he's nocturnal. He sleeps all day and is up all night. He's, so it. He's literally a college boy yeah yeah exactly so he you have so you go to play volleyball like at midnight and and people go to play volleyball because they want to play volleyball with him but then people also go to watch volleyball because between games there's a chance that you can pull him aside to ask your question he holds court like literally on the volleyball court he'll be like so you want to ask me some questions and and everybody's just like you know, just dying for whatever the leader is going to say. And then I find out the whole reason he's nocturnal is because his father worked like he was Madison Avenue guy. Yeah. And his mother was a terrible drunk and he trained himself to stay up to make sure that she didn't die because she took like combos of pills Pills and and booze. Yeah. So, so this whole cult is about volleyball and middle of the night and Albany literally just because that's that guy's own creation story, his own story of him growing up. And I'm like, how many things and how many religions have this weird thing about you can't do this or you have to do this. And it's just because that one guy liked those things. Right. I mean, that's like, 
I'm so now I'm trying to make my own cult and like what would my cult would be? It would be like definitely free to call. You have to like free to call. You have to wear lipstick once in a while. Like it would just be weird. Shrimp. There would be a lot of shrimp involved. And AMPM. AMPM. You'd have to like get a job interning at the AMPM. Like we could all make our cults, man. But that I'm gonna watch it. Is it like a like a ten part series or like who knows? Yeah, it's a series. It, well, I so I the first two years ago I listened to the podcast, which is very good, and I'm re-listening to that and watching. Holy, it's on you're HBO really now. in the cult I'm, of the cult. I'm all in it, and dude, we definitely have to write a story. A cult story. Yes. It's I think so it's, fascinating. I think it's time. Like, I think, the, you know, you have the Handmaid's Tale cult situation, but that's that's a little on the nose, you know? Like, I think it's, I, I definitely like what we've been talking about, which is that they make uh, their, the subtlety of, of your being lured in and also that's a cult I can get behind. Like, like mm-hmm. if you get, if you really believe the things that the person is saying then you're like, it's not a cult. It's it's a way of life. And mm-hmm. that is fascinating. Because you're like, wait, is our cults bad? And like you had talked about before, like anything could be a cult, right? So like mm-hmm. there's, there's a cult of people who are really into cars. You could call it a club or you could call it a cult, you know? So right. it's, it's really. Right. Oh. And it's all about the, the basic needs that whatever flavor of your cult satisfies, you know, um, I'm sure people who are really into like, like I have a cousin who's really into drag racing. Yes. He's a thrill junkie. He, he also works in the military with explosive devices. Oh, so wow. he's an adrenaline junkie. Right. Right. And he finds it where, wherever he can. And I, I, I don't know how into the drag racing, like if he's yeah. it really like deep into the community, but that, but I could see him, you know, and actually, he's a very frugal guy. But I bet you anything, he spends a lot of money on the drag race. Right. So, like, it, what is it about? This is like so fascinating. It's like, what is it about um, the, the 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 cult that gets you to do something you would normally never do? Like, if you're frugal and all of a sudden you're spending thousands of dollars on this cult, people are like, "What mm-hmm. the hell happened to mm-hmm. him?" But mm-hmm. but and also. Right. They're, they they don't happen overnight. They just don't happen overnight. And like, like we can talk about, you know, like at the theater school, the cult, that literal Pentecostal cult, most people call it a cult, right? Absolutely. That whole thing that overtook, I mean, that's a podcast in itself. That whole it thing. It is. And you know, what's funny, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I was so judgmental and I still kind of am of, of that. Well, I'm not judgmental now. I totally understand why they did it now, but like, I think about it and I'm like idiots, you know, doing this, but uh, there I was wearing all these like hippie clothes because I became part of a group of friends who were really into the Grateful Dead. Sure. Which is 1,000 oh, Yeah, yeah. Not not a bad cult. Not a no, multi-level marketing a music, cult. A music it's just cult. Like, yeah. It's a cult. And you know, it's a cult because they they preach all of this, like, inclusiveness. And I don't know how it is now, but back in the day, like, yeah. if somebody showed up to a dead show wearing, like, goth stuff, they would be... Ostracized. They, yeah, they wouldn't be, like... You had to be wearing the outfit, right? It's all, it's all a cult. Today on the show, we have our good old friend, Patrick Belton. Patrick Belton, otherwise known as the Dub Gypsy. He's a DJ. He's an actor. You've seen him in commercials. He's done music for television and film. He is uh, charming and an all-around lovely, lovely, lovely guy. So please enjoy our interview with Patrick Belton. Anyway, ah. Patrick 
Felton, you survived theater school. I did, apparently. I made it through. I'm, I'm, I'm here. You are. You made it through. Yeah. <laughs> you made it through, and also you are in the epicenter of... Everybody says you're the glue that holds the alum together in L.A. <laughs> I like I, I like being I like being that that is that is a great uh, I'll take that that credit with with the honor and actually that makes sense because you were also that connector person in school I mean you were the reason that I mean you were behind all most of all the parties that I ever went to <laughs> <laughs> and you you always had a friend in every you know circle essentially. I agree. And I, I, you kept, so you're the reason to like two years ago when I visited LA, we got together with a bunch of people and it was surprisingly super fun. I was like, what is happening? Cause I was like, Oh, this is going to be weird. And, and Pat, you know, Patrick, you organized it all and you make spaces fun, which is yeah. really a, a gift, you know, and I think you had that when we were in school. I remember you being, look, school, and you can tell us your experience of it, it wasn't always pleasant, but you, you seemed always pleasant. Is that, does that, or, or was that just all an act? Just be honest with us. <laughs> oh, no, I was, I had an amazing time. I look back at college and it was one of the best, you know, some of the best years of my life. There was so many new amazing things and people and discoveries and drugs and sex and music and like all of it just sort of wrapped into one thing so it wasn't just like but every you know it wasn't always a, you know a great thing i i remember you know finishing the day off and just being you know everybody we got to that point where at some point there was like you know just have you just had your good days and then you'd have your really bad days and you i remember one day coming home walking home from school and just like had just the worst day in, in class and, you know, got with David or something. And, and, uh, and then walking home from school and it was like pouring rain outside. And I'm like, you know, heads all down, feeling real self. And I stepped in a pile of dog shit. And then I like went like 10 steps further. I went like three steps further to like wipe off the dog shit. And I wiped off the dog shit in another pile of dog shit. And close the door and go to sleep and wake up tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow's another day. So, so did you always know that this is what you were going to do for college, or when did you make that decision to ap apply in general to theater schools if you applied to more than one? And then why did why did you pick DePaul? It was it was between um, the uh, culinary school in Hyde Park, New York, and DePaul Theater School. Those were like my two uh, spots, and then I just decided to I'm like which one will I make the least amount of money at in my future. So I'm like, hmm, I probably want to go with theater. I could make a little, little bad money over here, but I could make even worse money over here. So um, Patrick, did you audition at, did you go to the theater school to audition or did you audition somewhere else? Yes, I did audition. Uh, Do you remember that experience? Man, that's a, that was a long time ago. I'm 100% certain. I'm not even remember. I don't even remember what monologue. It was a monologue, right? We had to do, do a monologue, and, and then what else was there? I think we had to do two monologues, actually. It wasn't until this very moment that I just remembered. I think we were we did a Shakespeare and a contemporary monologue. So what you – I'm going to venture that your experience was similar to what Jeff shared with us, which is – his his takeaway was really about his the his friends the people that he became close to and that he's still very close to that what he really gleaned from the whole experience was about having to do mostly with relationships and it kind of seems like that may have been the same truth for you is it yeah for sure i mean i gained a ton of um you know insight and experience and i would say that for sure like you know that's that is that is by far one of the big things that came out of it was the people that, uh, that uh, I spent time with there. And when you were done, did you, uh, what, did you, were you pursuing acting when you graduated? Yeah, for sure. And I still do. I still do like, um, you know, mostly just, mostly commercials and then if a friend's doing a film and stuff like that, I'll do, um, 
you know, I'll do some uh, parts here and there. Um, but uh, but mostly commercials, just to kind of keep up on the, the money side of things. I think I got a little frustrated with the whole auditioning process out here. Had some like um, you know things to overcome and on on that side of things, where it just it was starting to beat down on my brain, not make me happy anymore. Um, so it it uh, so I sort of stopped and on the theatrical side, but I still do like you know I did three or four commercials last year. Um, what about okay? So you said something really interesting to me, which is like you were you one of those people? Um, how did your? I, I'm fascinated by the whole showcase uh, process and um, your um, move to LA because I can't remember the timeline. So when you did your showcase, what was that experience like for you? Like how did you feel? doing that oh it was, just, it was great it was great just just i just remember just the feeling coming to you know getting coming to california it was like, i think it was the first time coming to california it was my i think it was my first time actually even seeing the ocean which was like the greatest thing in the world like i had in my entire whatever uh what what year how old were we at that point in time like 20 yeah like i had never seen the ocean and it was like, and, and coming out here, the palm trees and like everything's growing, like every color of plants, you know, with flowers and, um, and, uh, and the sun is shining every day. And every, you know, I think there's some people from our class, like rented, rented a, a convertible, like we're in California. I rented a Camaro, a green Camaro convertible because I am ridiculous. That yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you really saw the world as like this giant like anything can happen from here. This is like there's no, you know, this is going to be the the beginning of this, you know, it's very scary all at the same time. Cuz you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to come out of this thing, but there it feels like this 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 giant opportunity if anything can can happen from this point. And it was and there's something just super exciting about that. I went back to Chicago and then did another year there after school, did a couple of shows there, and then moved out. I think it was more of a, um, a matter of, it was timing and money and all that. I couldn't come out right away. Um, but but I came out shortly thereafter. I kind of knew, I was like, this is where I want to go. Um, and, you know, now I've been here for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> so when you were, before you ever got to the theater school, what were your expectations of what it was going to be like? Oh, man, I had no idea. I really didn't have any uh, sense of what it was. I just, it was, you know, I knew there was something going to be, you know, incredibly exciting about college. I, and I love theater. I just love, I've got, you know, this, this, um, this huge place in my heart for theater. Did you um, act in high school? Were you like a big high school actor? Yeah, I did both. I did sports and 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 I played soccer, and then I also oh. did and I also did theater um, in in high school. So it sort of like crossed both sides of the the, the spectrum there. But um, but yeah, I did some did some theater. I did this? There was this um, group uh, called Firefly, and it was like a summer oh. um, fire the Firefly Festival, and. We, it was run by the South Bend Community School System, and it was this woman, Furbia Engdahl, and then all these, um, a lot of people, even still who I stay in touch with today, who, um, who are now like out here doing um, film and TV work and stuff like that, wow. and went to, went to high school with. It's pretty. Patrick, what is that about you, do you think, in terms of wanting to stay connected to people or wanting to be the connector or just naturally falling into that role? Do you have any idea where that comes from? Because that's an unusual trait for people. I know very few people that connect the way you do. Like, what is that? I'm not sure. It, I have seven brothers and sisters, so that may have something to do with it. I'm like the oldest of eight kids, so um, we have a pretty big family. Um, and, uh, we grew up in this crazy community. I don't know. You, you may have seen it recently in the, uh, in the headlines <laughs> of, of what's going on, uh, with, uh, Amy Tony Barrett and whatnot. Or as I like to call her, Amy Cracker Barrel, I'm just saying. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so, so we grew up in this community and we had, um, and, and, but my, but my brothers and sisters are like, you know, we're a really tight group. But we've always um, been on the same, you know, trajectory um, 
our family has. And, and I think that maybe that's part of the influence of why I enjoy kind of continuing to bring people together. And so um, we always like to talk about what people's memories are of the shows they did. We learned early on that we didn't remember any of the shows we did, but now that we've had 20 of these conversations, it's, it's all sort of coming back. My, you know, the, my, the fa- my favorite one that I did was not on the main stage. It was in, it was with um, Jim Osselhoff, who, um, uh, you know, I got so much from, uh, from this, from that experience with him. It was, it was this like, short um a series of um a series of shorts oh you know i did also another great one did um that was not on the main stage with uncle vanya which was which was fantastic but um but this one with with jim was called diogenes the dog and it was like in the i think it was in the movement room um where uh john jenkins did the the movement music i think i think it was in there um but uh i that was my favorite um and then and Uncle Vanya, probably my second favorite experience. Also, not on the main stage, but then I did see some children's shows. You did Androcles and the Lion. Yeah, Androcles and the Lion. Yeah, that's right. And it was that was so fun with and such a such a great cast. And then oh, and then the one with with Rick. Um, oh, uh, oh, Puck, Tuck, Tuck Everlasting. Um, that one too. The kids' shows were so much fun. Do you remember what show you crewed for? I remembered, uh, shit, what was the, the um, Antigone? Antigone, yeah, yeah. We haven't really talked about that much on this show. That I don't know if they still do that at the theater school. I hope they do. That was a fantastic thing to make us learn about something else. I did uh, lighting crew one for one show and makeup for mm-hmm. another show. But Antigone was actually a really good show. It was so yeah. good. And wow. I remember having to wash underwear. Oof. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I washed. I was I was on costumes for and I was and I remember some of the older, you know, ladies that I was washing their underwear. They're like, they were basically like, kid, it's your turn now, kid. You're oh. washing my drawers. And I was like, oh, OK, this is going to be. Oh, who, who was the name? What was the girl? I can see her face so clearly who played Antigone. Sosie Kevorkian. Sosie Kevorkian. Wow. You really plucked that from a file, didn't you? Yeah, you, you had it. I thought she was a bad ass. She yes. was I thought uh, she was she was like worldly and exotic to me and she could act and I was like she yeah. knows what she's and and you know, she's her, not acting anymore that I know of. Her and Brocky Brocky Lutton? Lutton, yeah. Lutton. Something like they, that. They were sort of in the same category of like Fierce big kids. They were like the big kids when we were freshmen. <laughs> totally. I definitely looked up to her. Sosie in particular. I remember her very well. She was a fierce actress. Mm-hmm. So did you do theater after school? After college? I did. I did like one year. Um, did a couple shows. I did one at Big Big Gardens and one at some little really teeny small theater. I don't even remember the name of the show. It was like something... Oh, uh, oh, I don't even remember. Do you remember but, what you did at Victory Gardens? No, I don't. Oh. I did. Oh, I remember the one at theater at the theater school. I did one at Victory Gardens. It was the uh, oh, the clearing. The clearing um, was that MFA direct? That was yes, it was. I think it was maybe Nick Bowling. Yeah. Oh, he did. He did the visit. Oh, the visit. Maybe but I'm it getting. Just, Oh no no! You know what it was? It was it was a oh shit, blonde. She it was um a woman. Um, oh damn it, Susan I, Lee. No, mm-mm. I have her face Patrice? like no. Mm-mm. Hmm. I don't know anyone else that was blonde. Well, the but... MFA directors were Shauna Flanagan, Allison Zell. Shauna. It was Shauna Flanagan. Yep, and it was a clearing. It was like an Irish play, and uh, I'm trying to remember who all else was in it. But it, that was—I love that play. Do, why do I remember you being in the adding machine if you were not in Rick's class? You're not in the adding machine. I—I I did. I had. Um, I wasn't in. I never had Rick as a teacher. I only had Rick as 
um, as a director. Um, and it just only in Tuck, that was only my only experience with him. Because I had David and then um, uh, Miss, um, shit. John Nelson. Oh, I did, I did have Don. Um, but Bella? Uh, Bella Atkin, yeah. 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 Bella. So do you remember any of your, um, like your intro, your second year shows? No. I don't remember which ones were which. I don't remember any of those. Yeah, it's hard. You're gonna find like later today or in these next several days. It's 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 like a thing that you you have to dust off and and pull out and start looking through. I I started to look at pictures. Jeff sent us pictures. I'm asking everybody to send us pictures from college. And yeah. he has some great apartment three pictures. Oh, oh uh, Springs Awakening. Um, I I did that was an intro with Don Ilko and uh, that, I, I, I I kissed Chris Gerber. <laughs> It was amazing. I remember that. That I, how can I, I can't forget that experience. Wait, um, John directed that. I thought the dean, that older guy, directed Springs Awakening. I'm not. I'm ninety percent sure it was Don Oko. When I did it, maybe it was done more than one time. Oh, could be. So, what? Like, tell us about it. Tell us about that experience. What was it yeah. like for you? I mean, you're a straight guy. So, what was it like? I just remember his. I remember. The furry, uh, the, I remember the, the the scruff, just like the first time, like you kissed, you kissed it. I think I don't know if I've ever kissed a boy since that. It uh, it was it was quite a experience. It was just, I but that was the first thing that uh, that I remember very specifically. I'm like, you're hairy, dude. You're like, like I don't know what I would have expected. Uh, uh, you know, when you kiss a guy, there's gonna be some scruff there. I just thought it would be a little softer or something. <laughs> What, what's your did you get warned and all that Patrick like were you on warning did you what was the cut situation like for you or the fear or not fear I don't know if I got I don't I don't think did I ever get warned I might have gotten warned one time I don't I don't I don't remember I, I remember it uh, I remember the threat of that being very scary though okay uh, but maybe I did get warned. I don't, maybe, or, but, but I could be thinking like vicariously through other people. I remember how scary it was for them. Like, oh, got <laughs> Did you fear that you were going to be cut, or did you fear? Did you have a plan for if that happened, or no? You were just like, I'm living in the moment. Yeah, I had no plan. I was just like, I guess I'll just like, you know, go. Uh, I just, I'll just go on tour with fish and never come back. <laughs> <laughs> But that was my. I didn't really have any other option there at that point in time. I didn't. I, I had no plan of, of any of those things. I was just like, I, I didn't. I didn't really didn't even think of a second option. That's right. You actually made quite a lot of money selling beer at fish shows, didn't you? <laughs> I don't know if we made any money. We made enough money to be able to continue on to the next town. Okay. <laughs> um, but you, you know what I remember about you and working, and I think you had another job. Job, maybe like a. Goose Island or something? I, I worked so every job. I, I, I probably worked like 12 jobs. And I worked at B, BW3 and Goose Island. I worked at Clark's. I worked at... Um, oh, that's uh, right. Uh, what's the... Ed DeBevick's. <laughs> I worked at... Um, I really... I worked at every... And I would just have to get a job. And then I would get a show. And then I'd have to quit. Or I'd get fired. Because I'm like, I got a show now. I can't work the road. Like okay, you're fired. I I remember how your hustle. I remember because we we were very occupied with just school, and it was hard to have a job. And it was, but you were always working very hard. I remember that clearly. Were you a person yeah. at Edebevix who had to insult people? Yes. Yeah. You you had to. Oh. Yeah, totally. I like dance on tables and insult people and stuff. I think I, and that that was one of the actually I think I got fired from that one because I actually played some insult a little too heavy. I think that, um, I don't, but yeah, I got into the role a little bit too much. Oh, that's crazy because I could I I would I would never guess that that you would be yeah. like, but maybe secretly you were like, this is my chance to be a jerk face. Uh, yeah, I, it was more sarcasm, you know, but it was it wasn't. Uh, but it it was definitely fun. But I was like the you know you had to put on like a character, and I was like this hippie you know fun 
loving hippie character, but just for but I, I usually let the other people throw the insults. I think the manager just didn't like me because I was taken out too much for um, shows, uh, rehearsals and whatnot. It's funny to hear you describe that as a character because that, I mean, fun-loving hippie is sort of <laughs> what I remember you being. So, but it it consciously felt like you were playing a different part. Yeah, I guess so. I had to, uh, I think I just played it up a little bit more there. Um, yeah, I think it, but I didn't, I didn't know what else, what other character to sort of create. It was, that was the easiest one to come back. What about, um, so obviously you're, you're a DJ now, and I was just wondering how that love of music theater transformed into love of music transformed into your career. Cause you're, you're a big DJ. Well, that's it's funny to say that I'm uh, that I'm a DJ now because I don't I haven't been DJing very when this COVID thing hit, man. It just like everything just went to uh, went to shit. So, um, uh, but uh, but yes, sure, I did. I transferred when I basically uh, when I got out got out here. I was like, I have to figure out a way. I'm like done waiting tables. I transferred to the House of Blues out here because I worked at the House of Blues in Chicago. And then I started doing that, and I'm like, "This is I'm so over this right now. I'm like, I've got to figure something else out." And I started just, you know, I bought some gear and started working for other people, and um, and I just love music so much. It's like it's it really like hits home for me, and um, I'm like, "This is gonna be so much better if I can like figure out a way to like most parties are on the weekends. I can audition during the week, and then like I can totally make this work." And it just sort of grew to have a life of its own. Um, you but, started uh, making yeah, uh, mixed CDs. You started making mixed CDs for Christmas yeah. in college, right? And you've done it every year since. Yeah, I started that in high school, and in uh, in like '93, I think, with my first like mixtape that I started doing like mass mixtapes. Um, but then, but then it transitioned into CDs, and then now it's. Now it's now there's all just now I some people links. <laughs> Not as fun wow. as the as the tapes probably, but none. I know it's it's uh, there was it was so much. It, it feels like you're really you know when you have something tangible like that that someone actually like physically like made just for you, and there was only you know it's not like you can send those out in like mass quantities. So you really had to like select like. Oh, who am I? I've only got like 50 of these things who I've got to like, who I've got to get, I've, I've got to really choose carefully who I can give these to. But that was always a very difficult decision. And I remember some people who would like got one tape one year and then didn't get one like the next year. And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so horrible feeling. I have to tell you guys, one of my cringiest memories for my entire life happened with Patrick Felton. <laughs> one of my, one, uh, one of those moments I, every time I think about it, I go, Oh God. So as you both know, I, really found myself in college. I mean, I found a version of myself for the first time. I had been such a rule follower and I never did drugs or drank or anything like that until I got to college. And so I spent all my time doing drugs at apartment three with Whitney Powell. And they had a lot of parties. You guys had a lot of parties. And one day, it's like a Friday afternoon. I think you were going to have a party that night and you were at the I remember that tape player right by the window in the front room. Yes. And you were doing something and you said, Hey, um, if I played this song, would you dance to it? And I thought you were saying like perform. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. What'd you have in mind? <laughs> and you were like, uh, just, I mean, just you like it. Like, would you, would you dance to it? And I remember I had like so quickly developed this whole fantasy that we were going to be, Whitney and I were going to be featured dancers at your party in apartment three. Oh my God. Oh my That's God. Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Just thinking about it makes me blush. <laughs> oh my gosh, but that's brilliant! And I think and your parties were amazing. Don Ilko came to them; they were so amazing. <laughs> they were so fun. We were like the only like 
uh, the only freshman who had an actual place outside of a dorm, right? Right. And so we were just like raging. And then sort of, a, you know, you know, once people in second and third year, because we were there for three years, I think, right? Or no, was it two? Maybe it was just two. I think it was the first year it was just up, us up top and then the girls moved in downstairs for the second year. That's yeah. right. What, if, what if, would you say if someone said to you, hey, I want to go to theater school, what do you suggest? Would you say, what would you say to them, Patrick? Uh, you know, I, I would say, oh, I would say by all means, 100% yes. At, what, are you talking about our theater school or any theater At school? Either one. You could say whichever one they asked you. Yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember like people from like, I feel like Columbia College, like wasn't like the theater, you know, we know kids, like people who went to school there and I feel like they didn't have, get as much out of it as we, we did. I could be totally wrong, but I, um, but, uh, but I, but I really, uh, you know, our school was certainly special. Um, but, and, but I would say to anybody going to any theater school, by all means, man, follow your dreams. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to give you, I, I mean, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not here, um, you know, making a living out of it and turn into some giant star and ma- doing, you know, theater and, and film and TV. Um, but I had the, one of the most amazing experiences of my life there. And I would encourage anyone to follow their dreams and do what they want to do. And, and um, when you're at that age, by, uh, that's like the time when you were most impressionable and really you're soaking in all of what life has to offer and fucking go for it man i would even i would if my daughter wanted to do that <laughs> go for it man absolutely 100 percent. i would encourage her to do do just the same so one of the things that we talk about is whether or not you could actually teach an 18 year old how to act uh-huh. And how much you, people absorbed while they were in school versus how how much it. I mean, I mean, Jeff pretty much said it really didn't come to me until I was well gone from the theater school. I mean, not not to say that he didn't get anything from it, but it, I guess you could say it was just laying the foundation, but he didn't realize anything about acting until well after he was gone. And I'm just wondering what your experience was of that. Oh, no, I don't think so. I, 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 to me, I, I got um, so much experience from that. Um, Just the, even just starting with the core of the, you know, improvisation work in the beginning, which was really the hardest of the, of, of, of anything to me that was that that is that was but that's the core of it um and I, for me is i wouldn't want to teach um uh 18 years. i like teaching kids i think i don't know if i would be keen to teach theater to 18 year olds but uh, i enjoy the camp that jeffrey and i work at oh um, that's a fun place to teach to teach kids those things and they you know they're they're at this really, you know, they're at this place where they have their, you don't need to teach, to teach them how to, you know, have imaginations and, and, uh, become something that they aren't, they're already, they're already right in that space. But, um, sorry, let the dog out. Um, but, uh, um, I, I think that, uh, that I, that I gained a ton of experience and insight into the world of acting from, theater school I think I learned more there than I did I mean you know once you get into like it once you when you come out here and you, you get start getting into like film and tv work it's a whole different ball game it's just an entirely different craft almost um is you know learning how to you're still using what the, the core of what you learned at school um but it's it's really like bringing it way down <laughs> And it's all in the eyes, you know, it's like it's, you're, you're learning how to sort of adjust. But um, so that's a whole different way of, you know, learning how to. Did you learn all that on set just like by doing? Yeah. How did you learn how to act for film and TV versus theater? Like, did you just try? <laughs> yeah, you, that's all it is. And I took some classes out here and stuff too, just more like film. You know, we did, you know, we, uh, we, we got some of that from Jane. Um, um, before we left school, um, that was a huge help for me. Uh, it, and, and I was able to book a couple parts. I'm um, coming, um, well, I think while we were still at school, 
before or was it just after? Um, but I booked this miniseries because, and very much so, I think because of because of Jane and that sort of getting getting to understand what it is to be on camera and and how you need to change adjust things a bit. So uh, you mentioned Camp Winter Rainbow a little bit ago, and not everybody knows about that wonderful place. And yeah. I was just hoping you could describe it for everyone. Yes. Camp Winter Rainbow is a circus and performing arts camp in Northern California, about three hours north of San Francisco. And uh, Jeffrey Brown and I, um, we, we heard about this place when we were in uh, when we were in Chicago and from this old family friend of ours named Don Whitley, who is known at Camp One Rainbow as Noodle McDoodle, where people have their, like, like uh, their camp names, some people do. Um, so anyway, we, he t- told us about this magical place up in the, uh, you know, Jeffrey and I had all gotten into sort of like puppets and things from like we created this puppet show and from we took on a fish tour and stuff like that. And then you know, the idea of circus and performing arts and um, we're like, we belong here. We should go teach there. We wrote, and so it's run by um, Wavy Gravy, who is this, if anyone who doesn't know, he's like this sort of like late 60s, like clown, icon, activist who was at Woodstock and a part of this group called the Hog Farm who ended up like feeding everyone at Woodstock and Wavy was the MC. You know, he's the guy that told people not to eat the brown acid when it was going around, stuff like that. And but he was part of the you know the Mary Frank shirt crew and the whole like you know Grateful Dead from the, and the, this was all things that Jeffrey and I were just completely fascinated with. So we wrote to Jahanra, who was Wavy's wife, just like you know not even like an email. There was no emails back then. It was just like a handwritten letter, like stuck it in the mail and said, "We belong. We this is this is the place that we belong. We want to come there." And nothing, nothing. <laughs> oh. Wrote back again, and and uh, and 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 we're like, just checking to make sure you got that letter. We, this is, I mean, this is where we belong. And um, she, and so uh, she finally wrote back and said, look, we, we we you guys sound amazing, um, but we only hire. We know we're a kids camp, and typically how it works is kids go here and then they become teen staff and then they become staff. And we know them as they, because they've grown up. So we typically won't hire somebody outside of that circle because we just don't know who they are. And it's, you know, if you have to, kids have to be in a safe environment. We don't, we just don't know you guys. And I said, okay, look, here's what we'll do. We're, uh, we're going to get ourselves out there. We'll fly ourselves out there. We don't have to pay for anything. We'll come out and we'll work for free. You don't even have to pay us to work there for the first, like, give us two weeks to let us prove ourselves to you guys. Wow. And that's what we did. Flew up California, took a Greyhound bus up to Laytonville, California, <laughs> two in the morning. I had no idea where we were, and we thought the camp would just be like right there in the middle of town. And it's like another like you know several miles outside of town. So Jeffrey and I, there was you know two in the morning, nobody's awake at camp. We just like pulled out our sleeping bags and slept in a field. Then woke up the next day, and and, uh, and I either hitchhiked up to up up to the camp or somebody came down. I don't know that maybe after camp picked us up, but anyway. We got there. We fit in. It went amazing. We ended up teaching, you know, theater and and uh, and and um, drumming and ah, uh, sorry, um, and uh, I think yeah. And then I got into some contact juggling, and it was just an amazing place. And we went. We worked there for a few years during school. Um, we go there during the summers, That's and right. then and then. Um, just recently, two or three years ago, when our kids were old enough to be able to go back there, we ended up going back to camp. And so we've been teaching for the past couple oh, of years. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. That's very cool. You you said uh, you rang a bell when you were talking about the puppet show. Can you say more about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So so we, um, this, this band Fish that we sort of, um, it's, you know, most people, I think, know you know. I know you know Gina, but um, you know Jen. You know the I, I do. My my um, my mother was close friends with Trey Anastasio's father, Chuck. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> they worked together in New Jersey. Isn't I that weird? I heard that. Yeah, That's so yeah. cool. Go ahead. So, um, so we, you know, sort of became like, you know, just fascinated by this band, and we just really gravitated to them and so the times that we weren't 
while during school, anytime there'd be a break, spring break, fall break, summer break, we would just be like, we'd either be at camp or we would be like, you know, following this band everywhere they went. And Trey's thesis project from college was this story called Gamehenge, um, which was which has this sort of real theatrical element to it. And we're like, we should bring this. Um, it was it's it, you know the story is kind of incohesive, in it, but it's there's you know there's it does have all these themes of like good and bad and and, and you know evil and characters and these and and people going you know this guy goes into this opens this door and goes into this other world and meets these lizards and this knight and there's this helping friendly book which is like the bible of the land and this evil king who takes the book and steals it from the lizard people and all this. anyway so jeffrey and i um, decided to create this puppet show to kind of bring it to life you know and we were like we'll perform it out in the parking lots at these shows and maybe you know maybe people will give it and sean spratt too did it with us and i think lousy pinch hit a couple times um as well with uh, with a couple characters and and uh, Suarez and Jenny helped out create the puppets for us and and uh, we we perform it um you know in the in the parking lots in these places at the show before the shows and people who knew the story uh, were just loved it and then people who didn't really know the story but knew some of the songs and had the music sort of pieced it together and it was like oh this is how it all fits together and that was it was sort of this magic uh, little little thing did they ever find out about it in the band did that did anybody ever figure out in the band that you were doing it yeah we did we got a letter from mike gordon actually um uh, because we had sent them i think we recorded it once and we sent them a copy of it and mike gordon wrote us back a letter he's the the bassist. oh yeah yeah and we and we back we got back backstage one one time and i think we talked about it a little bit with john and he had known about it but hadn't seen it yet that's so cool. That's are so you cool. still, do you still, are you still really huge fan of fish? Is it still a big oh, yeah. part of your life? Oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. You I really it. light up when you talk about in your voice, you could just hear it and see it. It's like when you talk about camp, when a rainbow and fish and those times, it's like magic. It seems like magic. Yeah, it truly is. Yeah. It, uh, Camp Winter Rainbow is like there's just it is that place is ma- truly magic. There's just good energy just like oozing out of the ground. And for fish, for me, there's it's a it is like a um, these guys are like mus- creatively like some of the most amazing artists. They're like musical chemists. They just toy with sound like nobody I've ever seen before. And and I had you know so much amazing experiences you know with them growing up in the '90s. But now it's sort of become this kind of like geek like you know it's like some people like old cars everybody's got their hobbies like this is this is my hobby i've seen them you know well over 200 times and i've and i've got and and now when they you know and it also becomes this sort of coming back together with old friends it's like this you know reuniting get people together and we'll do tahoe for three days or we'll go to new york and go three days there and we'll you know it'll and just uh watch is there still is is there still parking lot culture a little bit yes uh there is it it no there definitely is um and uh, it, it just it just it changes um a little bit depending on the show and uh, sometimes people uh, venues allow it sometimes they don't but there's not so much there's not like anything like you know puppet shows or anything like that happening there they did been replaced with nitrous tanks and, and do they <laughs> but do like are there teenagers uh dressed like hippies for sure okay. yes Absolutely. There's still people like in the, I'd say most people are, um, uh, are definitely our age, you know? Um, but I would say that there's definitely still new young people come, you know, being enlightened by this, by this music, seeing it for the first time. For sure. That's cool. That's so cool. So cool. Um, Boz, did you have any other? Questions? I just, yeah. I just really wanted to, 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 I, I learned a lot about you from listening to this because I think um, when we're young, it's like, oh, there's Patrick Belton. He's a fun loving connector type, but you really, what strikes me is you really have this passion for imagination and it, it comes out in your DJ work and it comes out in your talking about camp when a rainbow. And I'm so glad that you went back to camp when a rainbow, because those kids are so lucky to have you and you're lucky yeah. to have them. But gosh, I wish I was a kid that went to camp when a rainbow and had Patrick Belton as my counselor. Oh my gosh. 
it's so yeah it's i got there's definitely this creative side of me that i have to like have and do things with you know there's there's you know those are there's all of us uh, you know i think that uh that went to the theater school all have that whether we you know continue to do like the, the you know acting uh, on a regular basis or not i think we all have that thing that we side of our brains that we have to you know give into right. uh, otherwise we'll allow you know we'll just end up going insane oh <laughs> <laughs> thank you patrick thank you patrick this was fantastic I Survive Theatre School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's Undeniable Write without the E-1. Thanks. <laughs>